Welcome to the Old Chick Snowship Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Arthurton. This podcast is dedicated to helping midlife women step into the inherent power and wisdom of a time of life when they often feel overlooked and underrepresented and even begin to doubt themselves. Each week, we will cover information and inspirational topics along with real stories from real women who are defying cultural stereotypes and perceptions of midlife. Women who are reinventing themselves, starting businesses, chasing their dreams, and tackling challenges they never thought possible. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Old Chicks No Ship podcast. Today, we are going to be talking all about understanding the science of fear. Now, anybody who has made any big change in their life or, you know, is in the throes of a midline reinvention of any part of your life, really, fear is something that comes up. It's normal. It's human but it also doesn't have to stop us. And this is what we're going to talk about today with my guest, Robin Joy Myers, who is a molecular geneticist, said that word right, an author, a TEDx speaker, and what she calls a joy architect. So welcome, Robin. I'm so happy to have you here with us. Honored to be with you. Thanks for having me. So you and I were just talking about the fact that our stories are eerily similar (laughs) in a lot of ways, like circumstances are different, but the story is the same. And I would love to jump into the story of how you got to where you are. So, you know, from molecular geneticist to joy architecture, like what was that journey for you? I'd be happy to share. So, you know, I went through life was similar to a lot of women, really, you know, I went through life being the people pleaser. I was the youngest of three. I had two older brothers. And as I've unpacked my life, and I probably couldn't tell you this even five years ago, but as I've unpacked my story, I realized that I even was brought up in a patriarchal family where I was the girl and be pretty, you know, sit tight, be pretty, don't talk too much, which was easy because I was a complete introvert, but just work and do what you have to do sort of thing. So I was complete introvert and quiet and shy (laughs) to the extent of like, I think fear of my own shadow pretty much. Mm -hmm. But I went through life, obviously trying to please my parents and please my teachers and so forth. And not really even discovering me even as as a kid, I was more afraid of disappointing everybody. And, you know, that was one word that if that was used I'm disappointed in what you did. That was like a, you know, knife to the heart sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like I was a good student, but if it was a, I got an A, but it wasn't an A plus, it was sort of like, what'd you get wrong? You know, that was mm-hmm. how right. the household worked. So I went to college. I grew up outside of New York city. I went to college in Ohio. Can't explain that. I was, you know, quiet and shy and why go from into more isolation, but I went into isolation. And I stayed in Ohio and I got my master's in molecular genetics. And, you know, it took me until my TED talk to actually say I discovered a gene. Basically, my story was, is that if you sit in a lab long enough and you just work, 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 you're going to discover something. But I do say, okay, I discovered a gene in fruit flies. It was kind of cool. But it actually is a big part of my story now because it helps me talk about the science of Mm. imprints and things like that. Like it all starts working together. It's amazing how like everything starts sequencing together and I did DNA. So it's all, it's kind of cool, but let me fast forward a little bit. So in that time of graduate school, my mom was diagnosed with cancer in May and then passed away in in September. And she was my go-to person. And Mm -hmm. she was the only female role model that I had. 
that just put me into depression and more isolation and, and so forth. And so I was more isolated from my family. But going through that, I stayed in Ohio for a little bit. I met my boyfriend who became my fiance, who became my husband, moved to Virginia to follow him. We got married, uh, raised three kids. I have two boys and a girl. The girl's the youngest. <laughs> my oldest turned 30 yesterday. And I'm like, I'm too young to have a 30-year-old, but I have a 30-year-old. And same sort of thing. And I raised my kids sort of as what I knew to do. But again, it was sort of like I never knew who I was. And I don't even mm. know if people knew who I was. I was mm. either someone's mother or the dog walker or soccer mom. And life just kept going. And I got really uneasy with myself. And I took jobs on as the kids got older because of college tuitions. They were all two years apart, so multiple tuitions. I got uneasy when I was approaching 50, certainly 53, because that was the age my mom passed. I was 21. She was 53. Mm -hmm. And it really was a very strange birthday as I knew I was getting close to that because I thought life can be really short. And who the heck am I? Like if I go tomorrow and having a daughter, who am I? Like, I don't know who I am. I have the middle name of Joy. And the only thing I knew about that as much as I disliked my middle name was that my grandfather came up with this poem, Robin Joy, Robin Joy, we're so glad you're not a boy. Oh. I was like, so that's why you named me Joy? Because I wasn't a boy. You know what I mean? Like things right. just are so disconnected. So I really kind of went on this seeking journey and I had corporate jobs. They were okay. Nothing by choice. My last job was for a nonprofit organization where I was director of education and I had a female boss and between turning into my 50s and having her as a boss, she shut me down. She, we had these big event and I was supposed to be speaking and she was like calling me up, but she wanted me to stand next to her, but not speak yet. And it really triggered something inside me, which I no idea at the time what that was, but it triggered something inside of me of being that little girl being told to stand in a corner, but be ready to come and talk when I'm told to talk. And I left that job and I was driving down major highway. There was a fork in the road. And I literally, I pulled off the road because I was like, I could drive off the road and literally drive literally off a cliff or I could go quit my job. And I realized really like, I'm not going to take my life, my, especially my daughter. And I couldn't do that to her. Like I'm going to create my voice. She certainly has a very powerful voice and I've learned a lot from her, but if I don't find my voice, how am I going to help her find her voice? And therefore, mm-hmm. how am I going to help other women find their voices? And so it just started. I quit my job the next day. I decided I was going to start with young women and their voices. And that just kind of rolled into everything that I do now. And from then on, I you know, sought out for my own journey and working with young women and to, to their mothers and so forth. It was really kind of this journey of helping women find their voices, because I think we're all very similar until we don't question quite a bit. And so we roll into these roles and not say, because we're not taught to, the bottom line is we're not taught to love ourselves. We're taught to nurture everybody else first. Yeah. You mentioned up front, you know, you talked about people pleasing and this is like, again, and you alluded to this, it's drilled into us literally from the time we are little children, right? That like, we must do everything to please somebody else. So like, you know, and that was definitely my case. Like I went, you know, did all the right things, went to 
got good grades, went to a good college, got a good job, worked my way up. Like I was doing it because that's what I was supposed to do, what was expected of me, but never did I check in and go, Hey, do you actually want to do this? Like, does this make you happy? Right. And I think so many of us as women, we just get into that mode and do for everybody and everything. And we are so far down our list. And then, you know, and you talk a bit about this in some of the stuff you've written about, like, you know, we don't trust ourselves. Like we end up not trusting ourselves because we've never had the experience. We've never been taught how to. Right. We've never been taught how to. And frankly, we put our trust into everybody else saying, you know, you should do this or try and do this or, you know, you're doing such a good job. And it's like, but are, you know, are we happy? And you so I talk about trust and like knowing your worth and, you know, no one's going to validate our worth, you know, and and that's kind of like a common (sighs) core belief, right? You know, if I say to you, like, I love your hair today, you look gorgeous. You might say thank you to me, but if you don't feel like you look beautiful, you're not going to believe it, right? So no one's going to give you that validation unless you truly believe it in yourself. So you have to truly sit and have tough conversations with yourself. And some people might not agree with you. And it could be the closest people that you're living with, you know, that Mm -hmm. don't like the changes necessarily or understand the changes, but you have to give yourself that time to trust in your decisions and your actions because they're true to you. And so it's really this, like, who wrote the societal handbook of where you're supposed to be versus like, where do you want to be? And so it's not like, how do you get there? It's where do you want to go? And then trust that you're going to get there because you're smart and you're going to find the way to get there, but you have to trust yourself that you're going to get there. Yeah. And the other thing that you mentioned that I just find so interesting and is about not being your authentic self, like leading to loneliness, right? Like isolating, right? Like doing all the things and kind of pulling yourself away and that, you know, not being who you really are and speaking your own truth actually leads to a feeling. And I can so relate to that. You know, like I was, had a career, I was always surrounded by people. (laughs) Like, you know, I had a family, I was surrounded by people, but there was something inside of me that was just like, there's something missing. I'm a master. I was a master at that one. I should have a PhD degree in, in loneliness, really, because I was, whether I was, I used to always say like, I would love to be in, in a social scene and just sit back and watch people. You know, that was kind of my, you know, oh, I'll come to a bar, but I'd sit back and watch people. I'll go to that event and watch people. It's like, no, I was totally like isolating myself because I just couldn't have a conversation. And it was, I just really didn't know one how to throw myself into a conversation or not. But it's true. You could be in the most crowded area and sit there in, in complete isolation. And now we can fall into our phones and social media and stuff like yeah. that, which really is a spiral. It's the wrong direction of a vortex, right? Because then we go into comparison. Yeah. Isolation can, you know, there's a difference of loneliness and a difference of being alone and Mm. being alone is really positive thing because it helps us have the tough conversations with ourselves. It helps us get into our head of what we want for, you know, like I'm a big morning routine kind of person, even if it's five minutes, (laughs) you know, what do you want for the day and how do you want to feel? And what do you need? Versus the loneliness of really isolating yourself. And when you become aware of what that feels like, you start to understand like when you separate that loneliness to put yourself back into the ring. And again, it's trusting yourself. You know, trust is really a big one. 
Yeah, it, it really is a huge one. And like, I always talk about midlife as kind of being the gateway to authenticity, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you have not yet figured out who you are <laughs> as a person, like you cannot, like midlife will show it to you in all the ways, right? And that was for me, like it was my whole life, right? Basically all of the identities of who I thought I was in the world were stripped away. And I was forced to come to terms with, okay, if I'm not a wife, mother, corporate executive, gym rat, who am I? Right. right. And I didn't know the answer to that question. Right. And for you and I, the commonality, like we lost our mother. Right. So yeah. it was sort of like, for me, it was realizing kind of the mortality yep. that's around you. And I don't even think even my closest friends, like, you know, friends, when you have kids, like the family friends mm-hmm. even knew who I was. Yeah. Even now there are people that are closest to me. They're like, why do you go by Robin Joy? I'm like, because that's my name. And I don't have to explain that to you because that's my name, but I like joy in my name. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that's just being really comfortable in who I am. Like, I don't have to explain anything to you, but let me tell right. you why, you know? Yeah. So along the path to, you know, and we both kind of have the experience of kind of reinventing ourselves in midlife. And I want to jump into the science of fear. But before we jump in, I just want to say this because I say this on the podcast all the time. I love how when I'm having these conversations with people about what their story is and how they got to where they are now, everything in their story has prepared them for exactly where they need to go, right? And it's like, you know, we come to this precipice and we're like, oh, I don't know what I want or I'm not qualified. And I'm like, if you actually just go back through your life and like, look at the things like there, it's leading you, it's leading you somewhere. And so the fact that you are a scientist studying, (laughs) right? Like fruit flies (laughs) flies and and genetics, right? Has now led you to, to kind of get into understanding the science of fear and how that impacts you kind of on your journey to reinvention or a big change or like whatever that is. Yeah. You know, it's so important to, I really do want to emphasize this. It's so important to acknowledge the past and the present and then the future where you want to go, because it does all connect together and you have the ability to recognize it and give it life and decide if, and it comes into the science part, but decide if that past thing is something that was good that you want to continue and bring it with you, or it was bad chapter and you're going to, it still happened and it still holds validity, but you don't need it anymore. Yeah. Or you take the lesson from it and you just you take move the forward. lesson. Yeah. But it all does connect. You know, you might not understand it and boy, I didn't understand a lot of it, <laughs> but Amen. It, it does tell the story. Yeah. So, Yeah. Hindsight is a beautiful thing, isn't it? I saw in something that you wrote that you said you were talking about I think one of your favorite quotes, I think it was the Mandela quote that was, may your choices reflect your hopes and not your fears. And I love that quote too. Like that's one of the ones that I, and that's the one that goes through my mind all the time. It's like, am I making this decision because it's pulling me towards something or am I making this decision because I'm afraid of something, right? And then you talk about fear not being a choice. Fear is not a choice, but your reaction to it is. Can you talk a little bit about that for us? Sure. So the idea of the science of fear So fear is a real response. It's a real thing. It's a real emotion. And, you know, people will say, oh, you know, just put fear in the backseat. You know, you'll hear people come on and say, like, put fear in the backseat and, you know, just say to stay there and you don't have to recognize it. No, fear is a real thing. And the science of fear is so when something scares you, 
your brain reacts very quickly. Our brain is pretty brilliant. And so five areas of the brain light up all at once. The amygdala, which is one portion of the brain, which is teeny, teeny, tiny, yep. actually stores imprints of every response to fear. And so that actually starts happening in utero, they found, throughout your life. So every response, for instance, I'll even go in utero, like parent being like, just that inside, like, oh my goodness. Or, you know, I like to say one of my talks I did initially were like parents on a playground watching their kids, you know, on the monkey bars and one falls down, you know, kids fall down. You get the parents and I'm sure I did this to my own children. You know, the first kid, you probably like jump up and like, oh my goodness, are you okay? And by the third kid, you just kind of observe and you're like, you know, thumbs up, you're fine. But when you jump up and you give that response or a kid falls and you're like, oh my gosh, and you try and save them, you know, your anxiety and your response gives them anxiety. Mm-hmm. And so if you jump up to save them, now listen, if someone's hurt, obviously you're going to jump up and run. Right. It's hard too, as a parent, because you want the best for your child. But if you can hold yourself back and let them assess the situation, of course, you know, little warning mm-hmm. here, as long as, you know, nobody got hurt. Yeah, yeah. Because that one little incident can start the fear of taking a risk, the fear of being embarrassed in front of friends, the fear of getting up and trying again, that one little response. So if you take that one incidence of being on a playground or falling off a scooter or riding a bike and imagine starting young, let's say at age five, right? And that's like a stamp. I just say like, think of it as a tattoo, right? Boom, 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 all through your life cycle. So the science of fear that's all stored in your brain. So right. very often, very often, something happens later in life, right? It could be a boss, like that boss who triggered me into thinking I'm that young kid who can't speak, I'm supposed to be in the corner and then be called up. And here I'm a woman of, in 50s in front of 2000 people supposed to present my program. And what my brain is, you know, conflicting and bouncing back and forth. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't necessarily her that I was so angry at when I processed it, it was a trigger backwards, right? Mm -hmm. So the imprint of that is that decision of that imprint obviously is not serving me as a 50 some odd year old woman. I'm going to let that go. Right. Mm. It happened. And I have to be able to process that and let it go. Right. So part of that is fear isn't a choice. It's going to come up. It's the reaction. It's a parent's reaction to like, oh my God, let me save you. Oh my, you know, right. Although kids are going to fall down, they're wobbly, you know, toddlers are top heavy, they're wobbly, they're going to fall. You have to be able to let them process things as hard as it is. You know, there's something now called gentle parenting, where you give them options and conversations like, you know, is this the best way to do something instead of like, no, I don't want you to do that. Um, So it's just being able to really think about your words, because words do matter, rather than try and, and give your response. Now, that's easier said than done because we're obviously programmed from our childhood. And so you just have to be careful with that. But there's true science behind it. There's true science that your brain is storing all these things. Yeah. And people don't realize that people just think, you know, oh, it's an emotion. Yep. There's it's built up. Yeah. And it's also, you know, like you said, it's, it's also hardwired to like, our brain is hardwired to want to keep us safe, right? Like to not take risk. (laughs) Right. Right. So it's really almost retraining your brain. So, you know, if you, I'm I'm sitting in my kitchen, if the house is on fire and you have to get out, you get out. 
if it's something that you can put in the sink, you know, if a paper's on fire, you could throw it in the sink and turn on, you know, it's a choice that you have to make at that point. So it's really being able to process more than overall just react. And and that was, um, I have like the fear method, right? And the F is forgiveness. And, and that has to do with forgiving yourself. And people often deal with the guilt and it happens with trauma and PTSD and stuff like that. You know, many things that happen through our childhood, brains aren't actually fully developed until you're in your 20s. But, right. you know, for children that have dealt with trauma, and of course, there's so many levels of trauma, but children that have dealt with trauma, they live with the guilt. And it's not forgiving that person who may have traumatized you. It's for you to allow yourself to say, I was a child. I had no control on that. Yeah. You know, I'm going to move past that. And that takes time. You know, I'm not trying to make light of it, but it takes time. So it's forgiveness for yourself. And then it's emerge, accept and resolve. And it really, it's a lot of trust in yourself to get to that point. Yeah. So in the instance, for example, and I don't know if you experienced this, but like, you know, when I left my corporate career, like there was a massive amount of fear that I'm never going to make as much money. People won't take me seriously. There's all of this. And like, I got paralyzed in that fear. And I understand now that fear was like, (laughs) was because I used my job, my title, how much money I made to prove to the world that I was enough. (laughs) Right. Like that was kind of my face to the world. And so when all of that was like no longer, like I did get paralyzed in fear. And I don't know if you had that same experience. Like you left your job, you're like, oh, now what? And you go, your brain automatically goes to every worst case scenario you can possibly think of. Like, how do you counsel or how do you hack your brain, I guess, to be able to take enough of a pause to be able to see that, okay, this is my brain reacting. It's not really truth. Like, how do you manage that? How do you manage through that? So I deal a lot with tools and strategies based on brain science, right? Mm-hmm. So my biggest suggestion is, I mean, there's a bunch of tools you can use, but one of them is, is just to stop, just literally to stop and count to 10. You know, again, unless something's on fire and you've got to get out, like literally stop in your tracks because there's a couple things you can do. One is just to breathe. There's a great mm-hmm. breathing exercise. It's four, It's basically 16 counts, but it's four counts inhale, four counts exhale, four right. counts inhale, four counts box, exhale. Yeah, box breathing, yeah. Um, that's always helpful. Things to have like on hand to change your mindset is like a scent. If there's a scent that you really like, you know, mm-hmm. carry an essential oil in your pocket and you have it in your car, have a candle just to change, you know, that actually rewires your brain because it takes- Interesting. It totally rewires your brain. It stops the nerves from going in one direction and just, it's almost like you lit a fuse and it stops it. That's always good. Music, same sort of thing. Right. Uh, The other thing that you can do is I always like having someone record their own personal message on their cell phone. So Mm. affirmations are great, but it's not your own voice. Mm -hmm. Um, So everyone carries a cell phone with them. So in the voice memos, Record to yourself, I am powerful because, and fill in the blank, or I've got this, fill in the blank, and hit that button as fast as you can, you know, because it's you're telling yourself, like, I'm safe. And you can even say, I'm safe. You know, record yourself a couple of messages that when you feel like, oh my goodness, but you just have to stop and stop the self doubt because it's us talking to ourselves, right? It's us. And it's just exercises that you just have to learn to start doing and stop the negative talk. Because yeah. if you think about it, we, you wouldn't call your friend and be like, you know, you're a failure. <laughs> yeah. You never say that. It's like, you're going to be fine. And it's just learning to talk to yourself the same sort of way. So it's just in that moment, shutting it down, 
just so your brain can stop yeah. and pause. I love that idea of like the pattern interrupt because like, you know, the fear thoughts go on a loop, right? Like they literally just keep going around and around and around until like you're beaten down. <laughs> like, and yeah. I remember like, like so beaten down by fear that it's like, okay, I literally can't accomplish anything today. I am now going to go turn on the TV and numb out on whatever show it is. Right. And you and- know something that's not bad. I mean, if, if you set a timer and you're like, you know what, I need 15 minutes. If it's a good day, get outside. Even yeah. if it's cold, like just yeah. get outside and, and take a five minute walk around the block sort of thing. Yeah. You know? Just do things that you can like stop whatever work you're doing to just reset and move aside right. from it. Yeah. Well, I know for me, like going in front of the TV is probably one of the worst things that I can do, but like going outside, but I love the whole, the idea of music or a scent. So anything, something that kind of stimulates some kind of joy in you. Mm-hmm. Right. And for me, like nature is a big one as well too. Like if I'm, you know, in fear, I can go out and into nature and be like really appreciative of nature and that will kind of calm it down. But I love the idea of just you know, knowing that when you're in that place, you have these tools, like whether it's a center music or whatever, a walk, yeah, you can actually say, okay, I'm just going to do this now. Like this is going to be my next step to get rid of the fear so that you can start thinking clearly. Because what I see happen in like the women who come to me who are feeling stuck, like I'm at this point, I know I want more for my life and I don't know what it is. And I'm feeling stuck. 99.9% of the time, they're not really stuck. They're just afraid. <laughs> Right. Right. Like they're living in the fear. Right. And, you know, because fear is real, I mean, fear is a good thing. Basically, your gut is saying, like, be aware something's happening, Mm -hmm. but it's a good thing. I mean, it's telling you, wake up, something's up. Now, sometimes when you have that perpetual fear of something, I like to tell people, if you don't like to journal, then start bullet pointing, right? Take some time to figure it out. Like, what is it? Because maybe what you think you, want to be doing isn't exactly in that way. So maybe take a few moments and figure out maybe it's something similar, but you're going to do it a different direction. Yeah. And one of the other things that I have found that works quite well too, is if we're afraid to kind of take that next step, like so often we become all or nothing. It's like, I'm taking giant leaps or I'm not doing anything at all. And the reality is that sometimes you can like hack your fear a little bit by taking, I always say, take the tiniest possible step you can think of in the direction you want to go. Because then it's like, okay, well, this isn't so scary. I can do this. (laughs) Right. Right. I agree with you. And you know something, as long as having the momentum, as long as you have those smaller steps and you have that momentum going, you're getting things done towards that step. Because sometimes when you think of it's got to be all or nothing, it's so overwhelming, especially starting out. It's so overwhelming and it's so large. And it's like, I can't do that. Like when I tell people about like starting a morning routine or start journaling, I'm like, I had one client when I first was getting going and she's like, oh, five minutes is nothing. I can do 30 minutes. And I'm like, no, no, no. I don't want you to do 30 minutes. I want you to do like five minutes, two days this week. And first week she's like, I did 30 minutes. And I was like, that's great. But how do you feel? She's like, I feel good. And then the next week she's like, I can't do this. I'm like, I know you can't do this because you just can't, you know, you've got to be slow and steady and build it to a routine. Yeah. And that's not that whole neuroplasticity stuff, right? You can't just throw in something new. That's why like, you know, New Year's resolutions don't really work. Like I'm going to exercise and drop 20 pounds. And that's why gym memberships fall out by March because <laughs> you just can't do it, you right. know? Yeah. So talk a little bit about how making small behavior changes kind of rewires your brain. So the more, it's almost like a rinse and repeat, right? So mm-hmm. the more you do it, It actually has to do, again, science-wise, the neurons sort of 
think of a circuit board, your neurons start changing its pattern. So instead of going straight, you know, north and then turning west, it starts doing it a little bit differently. So we might start north and then maybe we go east and then a little bit west and then a little bit this way. So the more you do it, it's sort of rinse and repeat and it's slow and steady. So let's talk like a morning routine. Mm -hmm. If you could do, for example, journaling, if you're not a journaler, right? Like I start with two questions. How do I want to feel? What do I need from today? And if you can just jot down two answers, great. And if you can do that, maybe two times this week, and then maybe add that next day, the following week. And maybe within a month, you get five days down, right? Yeah. And it's usually, they say 28, 30 days, probably takes more than that. It probably takes 60 days. So it's rewiring your brain really means that you're just being very patient and then not beating yourself up. So for some reason, if you were traveling or you just didn't get it done or you woke up later, and you know, it's just making sure that, all right, I didn't get it done. I'm going to start over, you know, like. You're gentle with yourself. You don't start the negative talk of like, you know, I'm a failure. I'm never going to get this done. And, you know, the whole idea is out the door. It's awful. Yeah. But you literally are rewiring your brain to think another way. Mm. But it's just slow and steady. It's just really being patient with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's like I was just saying, like, I, I, this is the thing. It's like, oh, I did it twice and I can't do it. Therefore, I'm not doing it again. And then, you know, recognizing that, like, And then we make ourselves wrong for it, right? Like what's wrong with me? I can't do this thing or whatever. And the energy of making it wrong is just like, (laughs) it's really heavy energy. Like it's really hard to overcome or just like piling it on at that point. Right. And I know for me, like, you know, I, like I, I am a huge morning routine person as well. And when I miss my morning routine, like it feels off. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like I have to get it done at some point in the day and, you know, but it didn't always used to be that way. Like there, I had about 99,000 stops and starts <laughs> to get right. to that place. Right. Yeah. And so it's just, and you're probably are much more than five minutes now. Right. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's just building it. It's just, you know, it becomes a habit after you started as a pattern. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's creating the pattern that becomes a habit, but seriously, it's just the neuroplastic change has to occur over time. Otherwise it's not going to stick. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, I was thinking about this yesterday, you know, it's not too often we go back and think about how far we've come, but I'm trying to be very intentional about reminding myself of how far I've come, right? Because it's so easy when you're taking small steps towards something or you just take it for granted, right? Like, and as women, we're so bad at that. Like, we're just like, I just did what I had to do. We don't take the credit for it. Um, And I was thinking about actually when I started this podcast and how, like, how afraid I was (laughs) about, you know, having these conversations with people and having my voice out there. And what if I said the wrong thing? And like all of this, like, you know, people are going to judge me. And now this podcast has become like the most favorite thing that I do. Like I freaking love doing it. And I was like, wow, it's just, you know, something just kept pulling me forward. Like, but man, I was really, if I, in fact, when I go back and listen to my very first episodes, I cringe a little bit because I can hear the fear in me. Right. (laughs) Oh, when I first go back and I look at some of my early speaking gigs and I'm like, oh boy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I have, but I have a huge amount of compassion for, you know, that woman who was trying something new right? Like just knew she had to show up differently in her life if she wanted a different life. Right. And yeah. And it's like you said, it's just totally rewired my brain to the fact that this is now a source of immense joy for me. (laughs) Right. And you have to take that time also to be like, I'm proud of you. And like almost, you know, 
if you have a hard time doing that, like look in the mirror. I mean, it's good to praise yourself. It's okay. You know, we think that that's such a silly thing, but we need to validate ourselves. Like you have to take that time to say like, congratulations, you've done it. And even especially in those times where you feel like I'm not making movement, you need to pause and say, but I am making movement because if I look back last week or two weeks or a month ago, I wasn't where I'm at now. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, like I said, I'm making a very intentional point of just reminding myself of those because too, like if you're a driven person, like I am kind of Mm -hmm. type a, right. Like I'm always facing forward, like what's next, what's next, what's next, when I don't take enough time to go back and be like, oh, hey, look what you did, right? This is awesome. Yeah, it's hard to do that. I mean, I I find it hard to do that still sometimes, you know, but it's great if you can get intentional. And and even if you mark it in your calendar, like, you know, take five minutes and think about the week or something like that, like just to remind yourself to go back and do that. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And, you know, as we're talking here, I'm thinking about, you know, action being the antidote to fear. And, but, and again, it just kind of comes back around to the action doesn't need to be huge, massive leaps and bounds. It just needs to be tiny little things. Exactly. Exactly. And I also like to always tell everybody, I call them the three C's of life, choice, chance, and change. Like you always, and it doesn't matter how old you are, choice, chance, and change. Like you always have a choice to take a chance to make a change. Mm. Always, always small, steady steps, but you always have a choice. Well, and I love that so much is because we often feel trapped in where we are, right? Like, and I hear this a lot, right? Like, you know, I could be in a career that maybe is like, it served me at one point, but it's no longer serving me. It's like soul sucking. Right. But we've invested so much to get where we are. Mm-hmm. right? Like that we feel like we don't have a choice, right? And fear is wired in there as well too, right? Fear is wired in there. And I, I yeah. actually have several clients um, in the past that have come to me because whether they're in corporate, but it isn't their passion yet. They, it's security mm. and they do feel what is, but they really, they're not sure, but they really love painting or something like that. Like, so if you can't just cut and jump ship, you know, find a way to sort of know what you have to bring in and what you have to create and find a way that, you know, you slowly transfer it over. So you might have to keep this corporate job, but we look ahead and we say, well, maybe on the weekend or maybe once a week, you start creating something slowly, or maybe at night you start creating something slowly, or, you know, you just start finding that balance. And I've had several of my clients really successfully totally become entrepreneurs based on what they, their strengths are and create the life that they want, you know? Yeah. And I I love that you call yourself a joy architect, you know, and and like the synchronicity in your name is just like, (laughs) I love it. But because one of the other things I talk about a lot is, you know, when you really, and and this was very true for me, like when you really just don't know who you are and you don't know what move to take, follow the joy, like start doing things that just make you really happy. Like if it's going for a walk or, you know, like you said, painting or whatever, because when you create that space of joy, like it does something to your brain that it just allows everything to like quiet down for a second. And then you can hear yourself. Like you can hear your own thoughts. Yeah. I agree. And, you know, the, the idea of architecting is, you know, there's that foundation and life just build on itself. Right. So mm-hmm. architecting your life and joy is different than happiness. There's, you're still mm-hmm. going to have days that are really happy and you're going to have your sadness and things that are going to, you're going to have to deal with the emotions, but 
for me, joy is, I say, just own you, right? <laughs> yeah. The abundance of just, just knowing who you are. And I call them your non-negotiables. Like they're your golden rules that you're just not compromising for anybody, mm-hmm. anybody with. But it's a lifestyle that you're doing your life your way and trusting in your decisions and just authentically being you and not unapologetically. You're just, you know, you're not changing your golden rules for anybody. And you know what? You show up better than for everything else that you do because you're just very, I guess, confident and and you can rely on yourself and you know that you can put yourself out there and help anybody else because you're solid in what you're doing. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that you have a million dollars in the bank or not. It just means that you're building your life for you. Yeah. And I 100% resonate with that. And like, I, that's kind of my motivator right now. Like I, you know, when I left my corporate career, one of the things I said, was, I just, I want to be passionate about what I do. Right. I had lost the passion for my career. I had it at one point. Right. But I had lost the passion for what I do. And so like, I make sure that every single solitary day I do something that I love, right? Like, you know, before I do anything, I fill me up. That's part of my morning routine, right? Like in the summer, as soon as it's warm enough, right? I'll take my paddleboard and I'll go to the lake because like that fills me up and like brings me so much joy that I can go through the rest of the day. And like, no matter what is on my plate, like I have a much different perspective, right? Because it connects me with myself. Like I know who I am. I know what I need. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And I think that's the part where, you know, when we are feeling stuck in midlife, it's because we become so disconnected from ourselves. Right. And we should want, you know, I I always talk to people with midlife stuff because we should want to change in the way of, you know, that's growth. And, you know, that's why I think people midlife, you know, we kind of do feel stuck and people are like, you know, we get to that it's either our relationships or empty nester or or whatever that is. We're not the same person. I am so not the same person that I was at 25 years old getting married. Like, no, I don't want to be that person. You know, I didn't know who the heck I was, Yeah, but I'm glad I'm not the same person. Now, did that bring me to where I'm at? Absolutely. So I'm thankful for her but she wouldn't want to be the same person right now either. Right. Right. But every chapter of our life demands a different version of us. Right. Right. And so being able to like, let go of whatever's not serving us, be career relationship, like whatever it is, like that's part of our evolution. It's part of our soul's evolution, right? Like our soul is all about expansion and growth. And when we have like desires or dreams for our life, it's part of ourselves that it's asking to be seen and to be heard and to be acknowledged. Right. So we kind of like owe it to our own growth and development to honor the fact that we have desire for something different at this point in our lives. Definitely. Yeah. You know, (laughs) because it's so easy for us. Like I totally did this. Like when I was like basically bedridden at the age of 50, no job, no husband, no nothing. Right. And I would be lying in my bed. And you talked a little bit about this at the beginning and looking around going, everybody else has got their shit together. What is wrong with me? Like I am broken. Like there's something I'm doing wrong. Like it was all like, I just took it all on me. Mm -hmm. Right. And really it was like my life kicking me into gear saying, oh no, no, we're going to now put you on the path to your true authenticity, right? Right. Like who you really are. And we need to let go of all this stuff because it's keeping you occupied (laughs) in a way that is not aligned with who you are. Right. Yeah. Right. So in a way it was, It was hard to do, but it was a gift. The greatest gift I have ever received. It was a nightmare at the time. (laughs) Right, exactly. 
Exactly. But yeah, I wouldn't actually go back. And if I had to do it over again, okay, would I do it over again? I wouldn't. Okay. For me, I had to get the, you know how they say sometimes, you know, you need a, a like a, a tap or a nudge. And if you don't pay attention, then you get the brick in the head. I was at a place where I needed the brick in the head to stop me long enough. And we talked about this, like pause me long enough to realize that I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I need to change some things here. I don't right. recommend people do it that way because if you can listen, when you get the tap on the shoulder or, you know, when you get the little shove much right. better. <laughs> Yeah, I say that too, actually. I probably had many taps kind of along the way that I just wasn't, didn't have the self-awareness to even understand what those taps were. Oh, exactly. Now that I look back on it, I'm like, oh, you were being nudged for a long time before. (laughs) Yeah, me too. I think I was. (laughs) Before the wheels fell off. Yeah. 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 And so being able to acknowledge that like, this is who I am as a human, this is how I've evolved and this is where I want to go next. And like then trusting yourself right? To be able to then navigate that is just so incredibly powerful and beautiful. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. know, I get goosebumps when I talk about that stuff. (laughs) Yeah, it's true though, you know, and it's truly, you know, trusting in in who you are. And listen, you have to be your best friend. You have to be the advocate for yourself and your number one relationship. And this is where it feels so unnatural because we're just not brought into this world this way, but your number one relationship has to be with yourself. Yeah. Oh, so true. You totally have to learn to love yourself because we're not taught how to love ourselves. No. I think our younger generation, like I think like the millennials are, ha- are ahead of us than we were. Yeah. I think that's shifting, but we were never taught how to really love ourselves. We're taught to be dependent on other people. We're taught to love other people and put our trust in others rather than trusting ourselves. And I think that's shifted in generations, but I think our generation is still stuck with that. Yeah, for sure. And as people like you and I do the work to become aligned with our truth and anybody, I think we are actually demonstrating it for the next generation. Like I look at my own daughter who, you know, who says to me all the time, like, mom, like, I think you're, it's amazing what you've done. Like, I'm going to have her on the podcast one day because I think it would be an interesting perspective. But, you know, she says, thank you for doing what you do. Like, thank you for, you know, taking the journey that you took because it had an impact on her. And that's the other reason why, you know, as midlife women today, women in our 50s today, like we're on the leading edge of a change. I honestly believe that. Mm-hmm. into a new way of being. And the generations behind us will look at, you know, being in your 50s and 40s, 50s and 60s quite differently right? than we do. Yeah. Right. I mean, listen, you know, even though my mom was 53 and I was 21, 53 was still like older. Yeah. You know? And I'm like, that, that's not old. Like, oh, I'm not, so not ready to go anywhere. Like, uh, well, yeah, because my, my mother passed to the exact age I am now. And when I think about that, I'm like, holy, like I, there's so much life left in front of me. Right. Yeah. 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 I feel like I'm finally like getting to life, you know, me too. I honestly, I'm like, this is the best chapter yet. In fact, I just wrote that this morning. This is the best chapter yet because it's like, finally, I'm like, I got rid of all this stuff that was like, you know, holding me back and holding me down. And, you know, now all of a sudden I'm moving that stuff out of the way and I see so much possibility in this chapter of my life that it's, it's so exciting. Yeah. Because I feel like, you know, we've done the work and we understand how it is to kind of be the driver of the chapter and not, I think when you start doing the work too, you understand, and that's what I love seeing women do is you understand 
that you you don't have to depend on someone giving you the validity of like you're doing okay. That's where it shifts, right? Yeah. Where it's knowing your worth, it's taking care. It, you have the power of your own self. Yeah. And like when we step into that place, like anything is possible. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been an amazing conversation. Where can people find out more? And I highly recommend you guys go listen to her TED Talk because it was Thank you. really, really um, good. But where can people find out more about you and the work that you do? My website is robinjoymyers.com. And you can find me on Instagram at robinjoymyers. And then my in the bio, you'll have the link tree to everything that I do, all the links. So I'd say go check me out there. Yeah. Amazing. We'll make sure that all of that gets into the show notes. Thank you so much for spending this time with me this morning. This was a great conversation. Thank you. I so appreciate it. (laughs) And to everybody listening, I highly encourage you to go check out Robin's work and thank you for joining us on this podcast. And if you like what you heard, we would love it if you left a rating or review on your favorite podcast platform. So until next time. Thank you for listening to the Old Chicks No Shit podcast. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give is to share this podcast with a friend, subscribe, rate and review our podcast on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen in.